Exciting show of the Rock Show, episode 105, Black History Month Continue. And we are talking about a guy named actually Chester Arthur Burnett, better known as also known as Alan Wolf. Alan Wolf. <laughs> Alan Wolf, the great Alan Wolf. Yeah, this is this one I'm really excited about. Uh Alan Wolf was a, a, a really interesting guy uh, a good guy okay really like a nice guy took care of his his musicians took care of his family uh really a good story about hard work and perseverance and you know good business sense and everything and it, it's it's really a good story like you said he was born chester arthur burnett and uh that was on june 10th 1910 in white station mississippi Okay. His mother was Gertrude Jones, and his father was called Leon, but also known as Doc Burnett. His father had some Choctaw Indian ancestry, and Chester was actually named after Chester Arthur, the 21st president of the United States. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now, his whole life, he was a big kid. Okay. Large, heavy, uh, big hands, all that. Uh, he grew to be six foot three, and at times in his life, he weighed close to 300 pounds. Big boy. Yeah, exactly. Now, he got the nickname actually, Howlin' Wolf, from his grandfather, who would often yell at him for killing little baby chickens in his bare hands. He would (laughs) crush them. Crazy, right? And, his, and he, you know, the, his grandfather would tell him, hey, you keep doing that, the wolves are going to get you. <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, he, somehow the, the, the wolf nickname stuck. But uh, Chester's parents, unfortunately, would separate when he was about a year old. And his father would move to the Mississippi Delta area, and he would be raised by his mother, Gertrude, for a while. Uh, the two would often sing together in the Life Ford Baptist Church Choir, which was near Gibson, uh, Mississippi. An unknown argument between these two, the mother and son. Uh, No one knows what caused it, but she threw him out of the house. Okay. I have a little problem here staying in focus here. (laughs) Hold on a second. Okay. That's good. That shouldn't move. Uh, yeah, something, something happened between them when he was a kid and she threw him out and he ended up at his great uncle's house. His uncle's name was Will Young. Uh, and he was treated very badly by his uncle. Uh, he didn't send him to school. He basically made him work on the farm all day. Uh, when he was 13, uh, the young Chester 
actually killed a hog because the hog got his clothes dirty. Oh my god. He was wearing, he was wearing some dress clothes and somehow the hog got him dirty. Killed a hog with his bare hands. That's like you think about that. The strength to have to do that, you know. But uh what happened was when he did that, uh his uncle Will whipped him with a whip. And he was riding a mule, chasing him with a whip and hitting him. Imagine that fucking image. That is fucked up, okay? It's not even funny, man, because I'm sure it traumatized the kid. But he ended up up running away. He he wanted to find his real father, and he ran away. He knew his father was down in in a couple of towns in the Mississippi Delta area. He walked 85 miles barefoot. Wow, to get to to get to his father. Okay, he was totally barefoot. Um, when he got there, he was well received by his father and the family that the, that he was living with, and uh, he started Chester started going by the name of John D. Yeah, uh, he just wanted to disassociate himself from his mother's side of the family and and all that. Um, you know, his relationship with his mom. I'm not really sure. You know, if it ever got back to any kind of normalcy, there was a point when he would have, uh, when he got big and was making some money, he went back to visit her and tried to give her some money. And this was, you know, many years later. And she refused to take it. She said, oh, you make your money doing the devil's music. That's, that that music was like, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this in the last two weeks with Robert Johnson, uh, you know, and Son House is, there was an evil connotation to blues music in those early years. Okay. There you go. The evil alcohol. <laughs> evil tequila. <laughs> um, Mike, let me ask another question, because you know what? Um, this guy's a guy that he, he influenced a lot of people. We'll probably oh, yeah. get that into later, but this guy, holy shit. His voice, yeah. the way I mean, he the out. whole the whole British, the whole British scene from the Rolling Stones to the Yardbirds, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, uh, all of them. Okay, Steve Winwood, all all influenced by this guy. Okay, and then even the Doors, they they Captain, covered Backdoor Captain Man. Captain Beefheart. Captain Beefheart. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, Frank Zappa also. Yeah. Big time, you know, influenced by. So you know. We'll get into it more, but but you know he. You think he had any influence, like in screaming Jay Hawkins and uh, Lord Such? I, I I would say Lord Such. Uh, yeah, he's screaming Jay. I mean, you know, look. I mean, th- I wouldn't be surprised if screaming Jay Hawkins and Howlin' Wolf did a show together on the Chitlin <laughs> circuit. On on Me the Chitlin circuit, you know, yeah. one of those, you know, down south, you know. All blues thing, you know, for only black audiences. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm sure they they enjoy. I'm sure they knew about each other if they if they didn't influence each other, you know. Um, he used the name John D. Like I said, to disassociate himself from his past. But actually, for the rest of his life, his father's side of the family, a lot of people would refer to him as John D. It's just a name that that stuck. Yeah, um, John D. In, right in 1930. Chester met Charlie Patton. Uh, Charlie Patton was a very popular blues man in the Delta area at the time. Uh, Patton taught Chester how to play guitar. 
Now, we mm. talked about Charlie Patton last week with Robert Johnson as well. Yeah. Okay. So Patton's a very influencing, influenced dude. Uh, the first song that so Chester learned and, uh, was... Mike, so Johnson uh, Johnson and Howling Wolf probably met each other, you think? Oh, they, they played together. I'm going to talk about that. Oh, they, right. they played it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they actually performed at some of the same places and stuff. Um, right. Yeah. So uh, the first song that Chester learned was Charlie Patton's Pony Blues. But Great he song. also learned, yeah, he also learned a lot of showmanship from Charlie Patton. He, Charlie Patton used to throw his guitar up in the air. He'd play it between his legs, play it backwards behind his back. And, 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 Kind of like Howlin' Wolf picked up on that stuff. He did kind of the same thing. Um, and he actually started to play with Charlie Patton when he got good enough uh, in the Delta, Mississippi Delta towns in that area. Yeah. Um, now, Chester was influenced by other people too, okay, uh, including uh, the Mississippi Sheiks, Blind Lemon yeah. Jefferson, Lonnie yeah, Johnson, uh, the Matchbox Box Blues, uh, Leroy Carr. Um, I mean, you know, he he. The song "Matchbox Blues" was written by Blind Lemon Jefferson. It was a song that uh, Chester would bring in. You know, it was one of the first things he learned when he was playing, and he learned how to play that. Uh, Leroy Carr's "How Long How Long Blues" was another part of his act that he did. You know, um, he was also interesting. Interestingly. In, influenced by country singer Jimmy Rogers. And Rogers was a guy that used to actually yodel in between his, you know, songs, during yeah. songs. Okay. And it was something that Hal and Wolf tried to do. And in the process, he ended up howling. He couldn't yodel. <laughs> he made like a howling noise. So he had this big, strong, deep voice. Imagine the big big guy, 300 pounds. Yeah. You know. He's not going to yodel. He's going to howl. So they started calling question. him Howling Wolf. Oh yeah, let me ask you another question. A lot of yeah. these guys were. Um, a lot of these guys. Why would so many of these guys influenced by music? Like you know, it's such weird. Like a lot of country music were mostly white, but a lot of these guys were influenced by country music. But to me, because I'm kind of it, 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 you know, a lot of these these two genres drew from each other because of the guitar playing. Yeah. Okay, the guitar playing, country guitar playing was a little bit faster. Okay, and naturally, when you, I, I would think when you're playing blues, you you want to watch someone play a little faster just to pick up on that. You know, okay. I mean, yeah, you're right. It's interesting because it, it at the time, you know, black and white culture didn't mix too much in the South. Yeah, that's what but, I mean. Yeah, but, these guys yeah, but I, I, I think when it came. Listen, I think the country music world was probably, you know, maybe a little more accepted than the blues because yeah. it was white, you know. Yeah. But I think they, I think, you know, if you were a real musician, I think you would draw from from each other. And there's, yeah. a, you know, and that would go on for decades until rock and roll started, you okay. know, when, when actually the two really came together, you know, and, and became what's rock and roll now. But, um, you know, that's how he got the name Howlin' Wolf is he tried to yodel like Jimmy Rogers and he couldn't do it. But he played <laughs> harmonica and he was taught by Sonny Boy Williamson II how to do that. Um, and that was when he moved to um, 
Park in Arkansas in 1933. Yeah. Now, through most of the 30s, Howlin' Wolf played in the South as a solo performer, and yeah. occasionally he would play with people. Um, he played with Johnny Shines. Yeah, he played with he played with Robert Johnson. He played with Son House. He played yeah. with Willie Brown. Okay, um, by the end of the decade, he was really a fixture in a lot of the clubs, and playing harmonica was was a big part of it. And he also, at that time, played a very early electric guitar. How was that? You know, I would love to know what that thing looked like, what it sounded like. But uh, I, I don't know. If maybe it was a Les Paul. I don't know who invented the first electric guitar. I, I should know that. I just don't know that. Um, right. You know what's funny? That if, if people now, people like love all these guys. Like when you look at that little, that little uh, list of guys that you call, that would be like an old fucking concert. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that would be an oldie show. You know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, those th just those names alone, uh, Howlin' Wolf, yeah. Johnny Shines, Robert Johnson. Without them, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have the music today. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but in, uh, I know. In 1941, he got drafted into the Army. And uh, he ended up getting stationed at several different bases throughout the country. He didn't have a good time in the military. He couldn't adjust for some reason. He had a problem. And in 1943, they gave him an honorable discharge. And he was allowed to go back to civilian life in November of 43. Yeah, uh, he almost. Only, yeah, only two years. And he never went to war. He just stayed in America. Yeah. But he returned to his family, uh, who had recently moved to the West Memphis area of Arkansas. And he worked on the family farm while trying to get his, his musical career restarted. Okay? By... Five years later, in 1948, he had a band with uh, Willie Johnson and uh, Matt Murphy on guitar and a harmonica player named Junior Parker, a pianist with the name of just the, his name was Destruction. That was his name. Okay. <laughs> and, and a drummer by the name of Willie Steele. There was a there was a radio station in West Memphis called KWEM that picked up on what he was doing and decided to broadcast him live. So a lot of his performances will be broadcast live on this station. So a lot of people would hear it. Let me tell you, did they make any money out of that? What's that? Did they make any money out of that? Uh, probably not. Probably I mean, not. Uh, probably not. I mean, I, I don't know if, if, if getting played on the radio in those days was going to get you anything. He didn't have anything recorded yet at that point. Okay. Okay. So, but that's going to happen now because in 51, a certain gentleman by the name of Ike Turner, that you know, okay, yeah. Tina, Tina Turner's husband, ex husband, uh, was working as a talent scout as well as a musician. Okay. I believe he probably already recorded Rocket 88 by that point. So he had a musical career based mostly out of St. Louis, I think. But, uh, he was in West Memphis and he caught Howlin' Wolf's act and he immediately said, listen, come down to uh, regular Memphis, okay, and uh, see Sam Phillips. Now, Sam Phillips had the uh, Memphis recording service at that point. Yeah. And that, 
that would become Sun Records, but it wasn't called that yet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he Sam Phillips is on the record saying he loved Alan Wolf from the minute he heard his voice. He said the guy sings with a hundred percent of soul in his voice. Okay. Gives it his all. His, his veins would bulge out in his neck. His eyes would bulge out when he would sing. You know, he, he gave everything. Um, it didn't take long. Howlin' Wolf kind of became a celebrity in Memphis. Right, he started, uh, you know, playing around the clubs, and he got to be very well known. Um, the early songs that Sam Phillips recorded with Howlin' Wolf would be licensed over to Chess Records in Chicago. Uh, the songs included Moaning at Midnight, How Many More Years, um, and then some of his music was also released on RPM Records. And why, did that would be... why did they move it from, do you know why they move it from uh, Sun to Chess? Is there any reason? Well, or so, just so keep, get in it mind, keep in mind, right, I, I understand what you're saying. Keep, keep in mind, Sun wasn't around yet. It was a few years before that. Okay. So he didn't have, Sam didn't have that, that distribution possibility okay. yet. Okay. So he licensed it out to Chess Records in the North. And then RPM, I believe, was based out of the South. Yeah. Um, and Riding in the Moonlight, uh, Pass It, what, what was it called? Uh, Crying at Daybreak. That was another song that was released. He had a couple of singles come out on RPM, too. And they started to... <laughs> huh? What's that? Morning at midnight. One of his songs. Morning one of his, morning one of his best songs. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's one of his best songs. That was like his first hit. You yeah. know, um, by December of '51, Leonard Chess of Chess Records signed Howlin' Wolf. Okay, he signed him to a deal at Chess, and wow. Howlin' Wolf would relocate to Chicago in about a year after that okay for for good he would go to chicago now one thing that's got to be mentioned about howland wolf that that i admire a lot about him is uh he was a very good manager of his own career uh and his money he didn't let okay. anybody rip him off and he knew how to manage his money he didn't blow it on shit he saved his money okay and he's been described as the only bluesman to ever leave to ever drive himself out of the Mississippi Delta to go to Chicago. He actually wow. had a car when he left to relocate. He had a car and $4,000 cash in his pocket. And got the hell out of there. And got the hell out. And not too many blues guys did that. Okay. Uh, in fact, probably nobody before him had ever done that. So in the fifties, he would also return to school. And he was basically a, a functionally illiterate guy. He couldn't read. Yeah. He didn't have, really have any schooling. Um, but he went and got his GED when he started making some money in Chicago. Uh, he was in his 40s when he did that. And wow. then he also later he studied accounting and other business courses because he wanted to understand the business side of everything. So very smart guy, you know. Um, he, would he was meet almost like self-educated. Yeah, I mean, that's the best kind, right? I, mean, I, I you know, I, I think that that, you know, that kind of of of, uh, of education is the best. I mean, because you really want it. You know what I mean? He has this career, but he doesn't want to get ripped off. So he's yeah. learning the business side of things. Now, uh, he would meet his wife, Lily, 
at one of his Chicago performances in the 50s. And even though she came from kind of an educated urban background, uh, they fell in love. And he was a country guy, you know, kind of different. But yeah. they fell in love and they would get married and he would raise two daughters of hers from a, from a previous relationship. Uh, and he would they would be together for till he passed away in the 70s. So they, they lasted about 20 something years. Um, Lily would manage his career and finances kind of even even better than him. Um, in fact, Helen Wolf was so financially successful that he was able to offer band members health insurance as well as a good salary. Yeah, and nobody, and nobody was doing that. And he was contributing to the social security too, which is amazing. He paid right. Th th this this allowed him to get some of the best musicians around because he paid well. He paid well, and and you know he he didn't pay you off the books. He paid you on the books. Yeah. Okay, so. You know, and he would also pay into unemployment, too. Yeah, that, um, yeah. I mean, how and Wolf paid, would, not only that, he paid all his guys on time. <laughs> yes, that, that's another thing, too, is he paid everybody on time. Good businessman, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, one thing he never did, though, was he didn't live extravagantly. Uh, he never drove a Cadillac or anything like that, like some of the other guys when they got money, you know. He, he would drive like a simple Pontiac station wagon. People see him driving it. You know, he was happy with that. But when he got to Chicago in 52, he put a new band together, which included Jody Williams as his first guitarist. And then yeah. after a year, he got a second guitarist named Hubert Sumlin. Uh, yeah. Sumlin was a, a famous Memphis guitar player. He convinced him to leave Memphis and come up to Chicago and join him. Now, Sumlin would pretty much be with him for the remainder of, of Hal and Wolf's career. Yeah. Okay. Right. He was with him pretty much consistently, I think, except for a little short period in the sixties, but basically all these guitars that you hear on the Hal and Wolf records, that's, that's Hubert Sumlin. Um, He's he missed a few days. I think he might've got sick or something for. Yeah. Time yeah. I mean, it was a short, a short time. He, he, he yeah. dropped out. I'm not, I'm not sure what it was for, but he went right back with them. But um, now, because of these good business policies through the 50s, Howlin' Wolf attracted the talent of Buddy Guy, Lee Cooper, Otis Big Smokey Smothers, and his yeah. little brother, Little Smokey Smothers. Little okay. Smothers, yeah. yeah. Uh, his lineup would change a lot, though, through, you know, through the years, um, except for someone who played with him pretty much the most. But yeah. when musicians signed up with Howlin' Wolf, like I said, he paid their Social Security, he paid them unemployment, okay, and he paid them on time. So, you know, he had his pick of the of the whole litter with that. Um, Bluesman Willie Dixon was hired oh, by Chess Records. You know Willie Dixon, okay? Yeah. He he was he was hired by Chess Records as a songwriter, okay? Yeah. And he ended up writing a series of hit songs. Howlin' Wolf, and also for Muddy Waters, who was also on chess. Okay. Yeah, these two guys were pretty much competing, right? My, Big time. Yeah, there was a, there was an open rivalry between these two guys. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I I, I kind of you know I kind of wonder how bad it got. It looked like it got pretty bad a few times. <laughs> uh, w Willie Dixon wrote for both of them, 
Okay. And sometimes what would happen is Hal and Wolf would reject a song by Dixon if he thought it was written just for him. But if Dixon would tell him that, oh, this is a song I originally wrote for Muddy, but I'm going to give it to you, he'd always take it. He'd always take it. Because yeah, he thought he was like, like, you know, get, he's taking something away from Muddy or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, fuck this guy. <laughs> but it was like a reverse psychology thing on, because he would just write songs for him, you know? <laughs> through, the, through the 50s, the five songs that Hal and Wolf had national success with were Moaning at Midnight, How Many More Years, Who Will Be Next, Smokestack Lightning, and I Asked for Water, But She Gave Me Gasoline. Great song. Okay. That's a great song. <laughs> that is a great song. Now, his first album was called Moaning at Midnight, and it was released in 1959. <clears throat> Excuse me, 1959. Losing my voice here. Um, but in the, in the early 60s, Wolf recorded several songs that would be his most famous, despite getting any no airplay at all. He didn't he didn't get any radio airplay on these songs. Um, most of them were written by Willie Dixon. Songs like Wang Dang Doodle, Backdoor Man, Spoonful, Little Red Rooster. Yep. I Ain't Superstitious, Going Great Down song. Slow, Killing Floor. They were all huge underground hits. Now, who was listening to them if it wasn't on the radio? Well, British invasion bands back in England. Okay. Bands like the Stones, bands like the Yardbirds, Jeff Beck, uh, Eric Clapton, The Doors yeah. in America. All right. And, uh, they would, they would be highly influenced by him, okay? Now, his second album was called just called Howl and Wolf, and it featured these, these particular songs I just mentioned. But um, this album is also called the Rocking Chair Album, and it's kind of the one album that really influenced the British invasion scene. Uh, yeah. it, came out in, it came out in 1962. If you were in a British R&B band, you know, the Pretty Things, the Stones, you had to have this record. This was something that they all had. Um, what was happening at the same time, though, that second album came out, was this blues revival. I mentioned yes. it last week with the Robert Johnson. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the late 50s, early 60s, there was a, a big folk and blues revival, and this music was starting to get popular. Now, Howlin' Wolf himself was, was still playing around, so he wasn't one of these lost older guys that got rediscovered. But he was smart and he took advantage of this right away. He capitalized it. And it was and a lot of young white youth. It was a young white that's what it was. That's that's what it was at that point. It was a lot of like, you know, hipster type, you want to say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hipster type white kids listening to, you know, this older black. R&B, uh, blues music, and, you know, they were turned on by it. And, I mean, it changed the world when that got rediscovered. All right, it really, it, you know, and Howlin' Wolf jumped on it right away when he saw this happening, and he toured Europe, okay, uh, something called the American Folk and Blues Festival, all right, and it, I think it was based 
mostly out of Germany, but they did play all over Europe. Um, yeah. He also appeared with the Rolling Stones, and everybody should check this clip out on YouTube. Uh, there was an old show, teen, teeny boppy show called Shindig. Shindig, they, yes. Yeah, they appeared on that because they did a, a cover of Little Red Rooster by Hal and Wolf, and it went to number one in the UK. And yep. it's the first time a, a blues song went to number one in England ever. Okay? And uh, when the Rolling Stones were invited on Shindig, they kind of demanded that they'll only go on if Howlin' Wolf is allowed to do one song. And it's a very cool clip because you see the Stones behind him just sitting there watching. And Howlin' Wolf is singing the song. He's got this other band behind him. The guy is, you know, six, six and a half feet tall. Okay, 300 pounds. He's wearing a suit. He's just one big, you know, big man. And, he's, and he points at the camera. He's like, and he's singing how many more years? He's like, how many more years? You know, and he's like in the face. And it's just like that had to be such a moment on TV to see that. I think the show used to be on in the afternoon. So if you were a kid watching that with this big black guy's finger in your face, you know, that had to be something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, I, and that's cool that the Stones demanded that, you know. Now, uh, through the rest of the 60s, he would record albums with many others, uh, including Bo Diddley, who we're going to talk yeah. about next week, and uh, with uh, Muddy Waters as well. Okay, they would actually team up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it probably got to a point where it was better to be friends and make money together than they'd be rivals. Yeah, to you know? make money. Exactly. Now, um, Eric Clapton. He would do he would do music with him, Steve Winward, Ian Stewart, Bill Wyman, and Charlie Watts. Okay. There was there was something called the uh uh the London Howlin' Wolf sessions. They would all be on that with him on a record. Now, one chess release that came out during this time, I just want to talk about this particular one a little bit because it's interesting. Um, it was just called the Howlin' Wolf album. And Basically, it was designed to kind of attract the hippies. Yeah. So what they did, and they and, and Muddy Waters had done it like slightly before. He, they put together like a free jazz, psychedelic rock band for Howlin' Wolf to sing with, with some of his his older songs. It wasn't new songs. Okay? No, no. It was older tracks done in a heavier rock psychedelic way and muddy waters had done a record like that called electric mud that everybody should check out because it's cool but i happen to like this more all right and i don't know what it is but the album actually bombed when it came out and and some people blame the the album cover because the album cover was a a white background and it just said in big black block letters it said this is Howlin' wolf's new album he doesn't like it but he didn't like his electric guitar at first either <laughs> that's all it says on the album cover no picture no nothing right? that's kind of so, that's kind of awesome it, it, i think it's great i mean i think it's I like think a it's big great, fuck yeah. you you know but for some reason it didn't it didn't you know really capture anybody anybody's imagination nobody really bought it but uh 
Leonard Chess, who, who put it out, was just figured, oh, you know, it was a bad idea to kind of be negative like that, you know, on the cover, like a man not liking his own album. But yeah. I, I think it's great. I, I, I think it's like punk rock, man. You know what I mean? It's, it's just fantastic. But when you listen I, I, I to this album... I would have bought it just because of the title. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great. I'm, I'm, I know people bought it, but it just didn't do half as good as his other stuff. Yeah. But uh, I was listening to it today. I hadn't heard it in a long time. And it, it's just like listening to, uh, you know, heavy, like like just heavy acid rock with Howlin' Wolf singing, you know. And it it, it, it works. I think it works. You know, it's it's something everybody should listen to. Actually, uh, I'll, I'll post more music from that album. You know, maybe during during this month that we're we're, we're celebrating this music. Yeah. Um, now the UK release, however, of the London Howl and Wolf sessions that I just talked about before, um, that actually did pretty well in England because the British crowds really appreciated this kind of music, and they you know it became a, a hit. Now, his last album was 1973's Backdoor Man, or The, the Backdoor Man, excuse me. Yep, The Backdoor um, The Backdoor Man, right. Now, an album, it was an album of all new material, and it was recorded with uh, the band he had most recently over the, the prior years before 1973. He had Hubert Sumlin with him still. He had a guy named Detroit Jr., Andrew Blue Blood uh, McMahon, a guy named Chico Chisholm, uh, Lafayette Shorty Gilbert, and a band leader. He had an actual band leader at the end of his life, a guy named Eddie Shaw. And the album itself was actually a very short record, only about 35 minutes, minutes long. Yeah, yeah he, he tended to, his albums were at least 45, 50 minutes long, which was pretty long. You know, I think he, you know, I, I forget how long a record could be before you had to make a double record. Something like 45, 50 minutes. Okay, and his albums were usually about that. Um, but, but he was getting was sick at this time. He was getting sick. Yeah, well, right. He What was happening was his health was declining, and they just, you know, his, his actual performances when he would play live were cut down to only about 21 songs a show, which... Most of the most of the songs were about three minutes long, so you know he played for an hour. That's you know? about twenty one songs, man. What you think about it? It, it is a lot. Well, the songs weren't long, you know. Yeah. But sadly, he he suffered from a couple of heart attacks in the late sixties, early seventies, and he had also gotten into a a car accident in nineteen seventy that bruised his kidneys. And he had kidney problems after that accident. Um, in January of 76, Alan Wolf checked himself into the VA hospital in Hines, Illinois. And uh, he was supposed to get kidney surgery, which they did. But he would die, sadly, from complications on uh, January 10th at the age of 65 years old. Um Howl Wolf is buried in the Oak Ridge Cemetery outside Chicago, just outside. Uh, and his gravestone has an image of a guitar and a harmonica etched onto it. And to this day, his family, I uh, believe his daughters are still alive, I believe, uh, 
and uh, they take care of his, you know, his heritage is, you know, anything to do with him. There's a Howlin' Wolf Foundation, all that. So, you know, he made, you know, out of all the guys in those early years, he was probably one that made the most money. You know, a lot of these other guys, they either blew it on drinking, fucking around, you know. But Howlin' Wolf, he saved his money and he, and he had a little something. He had a nice house. He had, you know, good stuff. So that's all I got for you today, Rob. Man, that was pretty good, man. That was a pretty quick history about Highland Wolf, man. A lot of information. You pretty mm -hmm. touched it so clear, you know? And next week, I uh, have Bo Dilly. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's a nice little segue because Howlin' Wolf, one of these original blues guys, did play with Bo Diddley. So, Ooh, yeah, yeah. He was. Yeah, no. now, Bo, Did Bo Diddley is a. Uh, Wow, what can I say? I mean, there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be rock and roll without Bo. I mean, it, yeah, it's, he's another one. It, when you listen to his music today, it's just as good. It, it doesn't get old, no. and uh, it's everything rock and roll is supposed to be. So I'm excited about next week's show. That'll be good. So where can we find you, Rob? What up? Is that the last? Is that the last show of Black History? Uh, Bo Diddley next week. Yeah, that'll be the fourth yeah. week. Yeah. All right. So that's one. Wow. That went quick the month. Yeah, it, it is. is a short month. <laughs> short to the year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so everybody, you can find anything getting lumped up. Um, you look uh, you go on uh Google or any platform getting lumped up, you're gonna see a big head and a very colorful picture and uh, you subscribe to the shows. Um so Instagram, Facebook. Twitter, every platform, just look gumped up. The same thing like the podcast, you can get it all the platforms. And uh, these episodes are up on YouTube also, which either we have live video, if we don't have live video, I do a whole uh, picture um, entourage of the of the, of the star we uh, talk about. And you'll hear us talk, and in the background, you have some very nice picture. But we've been doing video where we don't have a problem. And uh, Mike, where can I find you? Well, uh, actually, the, the thing is, where can't you find me? Because I'm not on Parlor anymore, and no, I'm no not problem. on Twitter anymore, it looks like. So maybe by the time this show is aired, that will be different. But uh, you can always find me on Facebook under Michael Baker. Uh, the Rock Show has its own group page called the Rock yeah. Show Podcast Group Page on Facebook. Check that out every day. There's always good stuff on there. I'm on Instagram, Rocker Mike. 212 and uh hopefully paula will be back up on the rocker mic and also on uh twitter rocker mic three now i'm also been checking out something called clout hub okay and uh <laughs> what is that free what oh free just <laughs> <laughs> i don't know I, I i think she's on the island with epstein but that's a whole other show <laughs> you, think great, I'll rat, you think i'll rattle some feathers <laughs> i think so i think you did End up <laughs> but uh i i am on clout hub now uh, i'm gonna see how that works out on the rocker mic 
check it out. It's kind of like a mix between Facebook and Twitter. Seems to be okay. I got to figure out how to use it. But it's like, um, it's like anything else, you know. I mean, I, yeah. and I think I'm going to try to get on Gab as well, you know, because it's just crazy what they're doing with all this. But, yeah. um, you know, so thank you, everybody, for coming on, checking out the Howlin' Wolf show. Next week is Bo Diddley. And then in March, we've got – it's a making of. All five weeks in March, we're going to have a making of a certain album, starting with Motorhead's Ace of Spades. So it's going to be a good yeah. month with that. I can't wait. You know what? I think the first the first two albums are going to be a fucking – the two great albums, but it's going to be a fucking headache talking about it. You got fucking Motorhead, Ace of Spades, then you, the Stooges roll power. Just those albums. Remember already, like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> going to be good. Rolling Stone, the New York Dow, and the – you know, R.E.M. I said that R.E.M. <laughs> well, you know – I, I, I have a little soft side. I do like like the very early, early stuff. I mean, they, they yeah. got preachy and annoying later on. But Murmur's a good album. I, I, I like the stuff that they did up until, like, this one goes out to the one I love. Yeah. Everything before that, I kind of like. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, something different. Hey, Mike, before you go, let me ask you a question. Um... DJ John Peel, Peel is a guy that we talked about many times. He appears on the show many, many times. Are we going to have a special guest for that show? Because you were talking about uh, that. Yeah. Yes. Um, for folks that remember last year, we did a show on Slade, the great glam great. rock band. We brought on a, a fantastic guest named Ron Granger, a British guy that uh, – was a big Slade fan, and he gave some great insight on this show. I'm trying to bring him back for DJ John Peel. I got to get in touch with him so we can record that. Uh, he said that he, you know, used to listen to him all the time as a kid. So, you know, John John Peel is somebody that, you know, in England would make or break you. Yeah. Okay. And he actually spent some time in America as as a as a, as a uh, reporter, I believe, in in Cleveland. So he has a little bit of an American connection, this guy, John Peel. But uh, really, he was in England. He was very influential. Uh, you can buy certain bands like The Only Ones, Susie and the Banshees, Jesus and Mary Chain. So, I mean, just off the top of my head. But so many bands, they have just albums, you know, the John Peel sessions yeah. and fantastic stuff. But, yeah, we got a good uh, we got a good couple of months lined up. I think that's in April that'll be that'll be coming up, right? The John Peel. Yeah, April, April, April's yeah. gonna be tough. And I love that we ended with uh, CCR, CCR, yeah, CCR, yeah, yeah. All right. So to everybody out there, hey, and guys, um, if you like the video, register. I mean, subscribe to our YouTube channel because um, yep. we're only that far from going YouTube live. And that would really help us and get the um, show out there. And um, we have a lot of information. We uh, we try to provide an entertaining, um, educational show. And I hate I hate educational show, but I do like the rock show. So guys, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and that is on um, getting lumped up. And people, remember, we are a lot better than Harry and Meghan. That's all I'm telling you. <laughs> yes, we are. We are better than Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Mike. Remember, don't get drunk. Get, drunk. get lumped up. See you next week. Take care, people.
podcast you will hear That will be music to your ears You'll learn about bands you'll love or may not know And it's only here on The Rock Show Let's get lumped up on the rock show.